0: Now, if you would join me and hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. If you're using a worship center Bible, you will be on page 858. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days... The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And he continued in subjection to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and men. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you today. Uh, Wonderful to unpack this particular text, uh, Luke chapter 2. It's one of my favorite Uh, passages in the entire Bible. If you're new with us this morning, we've just started a brief series on the gift of community. This morning, we want to talk about the purpose of Christian community. And in that, we've noted that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God is himself a community. He said at the very beginning, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And so, of course, when God makes human Kind, he makes humankind a community. Male and female created he them. So out of the community of God comes a community of persons. That community of persons, of course, is broken. That union is shattered. And it's shattered in many different ways and our own hearts feel that fragmentation. And so one of the things that happens in salvation and redemption is not only personal forgiveness and the call that God places on each of us as individuals into a relationship with him, but a reconciliation that is seen in the way that we love one another, in the way that we serve one another, in the way that we care for one another, in the way that we express together The community that belongs to God. We are His image bearers in the world. And that is why the Christian faith can never be reduced down to just an individual relationship with God. But out of that individual relationship with God has to be seen in the way that we handle and treat each other and we dwell together in community. And we noted last week that if there was anyone who didn't need community, it would have been Jesus. But Jesus intentionally created community. He made it his mission, and it was central to his method in that mission. He preached to thousands, but he called together a community of people close to him. And then he said, I want you to go and fashion those communities in other places. The apostles didn't just go and preach a message and make decisions. They gathered disciples. And those disciples were learning the practices of obeying Jesus and loving one another because Jesus said the world will know you're my disciples, not because of the precision of your theological formulas, but because of the way you love each other. And that love is a unique love that flows from the heart of God, revealed in Jesus Christ and is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite novels of all time is Victor Hugo's Les Mis, and of course, this line comes through in the musical as well. In it, he says, to love another person is to see the face of God. And that's what happens in community. We are called out of ourselves, and in loving someone else, we come into contact with something that transcends us. We come into communion with something eternal. Someone eternal. In his book, The Second Mountain, New York Times columnist David Brooks talks about a friend of his who had questions about her faith and questions about reality and eternity and so on until she had a baby daughter. And then she looked at her and she said this, When I saw her, I loved her more than evolution required. What did she mean by that? It meant that there was something going on inside of her towards that other person, which could not be reduced to chemistry. There was something of eternity that was between these people. That longing for belonging, that need for community is Who we are as individuals, we have it. We were created for communion with God and community with each other. And where sin has stepped in and broken it, Christ has stepped in as the mediator of the relationship to take the two who are broken apart and bind them together. In Ecclesiastes, it says two are better than one because when one is cold, the other can keep him warm, or when one falls down, the other can lift him up. But a cord of three strands cannot be torn apart. Christ is the third strand. He is the third that stands between the two and mediates the relationship. This isn't community in just the general sense, but something was which is uniquely and distinctively Christian, where Christ's own sacrifice and Christ's own life is the thing that brings us together and binds us together, that shows his love to the world. And he has to be present in that. When my oldest daughter was only about five years old, uh, she asked me, Dad, would you please braid my hair? I said, sure, what could be difficult? So I took two strands and kept trying to get them to go together. And, of course, you know what happened. <laughs> they fell apart because you, it doesn't take two strands. It takes what? It takes every lady in the house because it takes three and you're a fool. So, uh, <laughs> of course it does because the truth of the matter is in our fragmentation and in our brokenness, we need someone else to step between us and bind us together and hold us together. Now, that fallen impulse in us wants to resist that. We don't want the mediator in our lives, and we would prefer to be left alone. But God steps up and challenges us. I talked about this a little bit last week, especially in the early service. One of the most painful moments in the whole Bible is very early on, where God comes to a man named Cain, and he says, Where's your brother, Abel? Where's your brother? And Cain replies with a question, You remember it. Am I what? My brother's keeper? He'd killed his brother. The first murder in the Bible is a fratricide. And God said the blood of your brother Abel's crying to me from the ground. The writer of Hebrews will go on to say that the blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel cried for justice. The blood of Jesus cries for mercy on our lives. But that spirit of Cain I want what I want. I am on my own. I have no responsibility for anyone else. That spirit of Cain is still animating the, the bloodshed we see in our society today where isolated individuals look to bring vengeance and say in their violence, I am not my brother's keeper. One of the most important testimonies we as Christian believers can have in our day is to live in the simplicity and the beauty and the glory of the two being brought together by the third who stands between us and cultivates that Christian community. Kurt Vonnegut, great author, said, What should young people do with their lives today? Many things, obviously, but the most daring thing young people can do today is create Stable communities in which the terrible disease of loneliness can be cured. The spirit of Cain is pushed back by the spirit of Jesus, our elder brother who did not slay us but gave himself for us, who died for us to bring us to life. And that's why we need to have a great understanding of community as central to Jesus' mission and his very methods of how he seeks to bring the world to himself. Last week, I offered a, a tentative definition of Christian community. Let me remind you of that. We'll put that up there. What is, what is it we're talking about with Christian community? There are lots of different kinds of community. There, many of you probably experience levels of community. Maybe people in your block, in your neighborhood, perhaps on an athletic community of some kind, an academic community, a professional community. There's various affinities that bring people together. But when we talk about Christian community, we're talking about Jesus bringing together people who would not necessarily have any affinity people who are different from each other and he sovereignly brings them together by his spirit he baptizes them into this community of people in their diversity so that he can show his glory through that what do we mean well it is a committed compassionate sharing of life and truth in which we grow in christ together and give christ to others well i want to major on the latter part of that definition This morning with you as the purpose of community, growing in Christ. Because it turns out that Jesus, not only in his ministry, intentionally created community, God the Father, in sending his son to the world, placed him in a community. When God the Father sent his son into the world, he didn't arrive as a full-grown person living on the backside of a wilderness he gave him a community of people a community of people in Nazareth a little village of just a few hundred people in ancient maps it doesn't even show up there are other cities around that were far more populous and known but little nazareth ah, what's that people from Galilee, spoke with a funny accent. That's how people in Jerusalem knew that's where they were from. Where did Jesus grow up? He grew up in a little village, in the little place where everyone in the sophisticated urban elite areas would have said, he's one of the hicks from way out there. What can he offer to us? One of the first persons who heard about Jesus, Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth that little speck up in Galilee the people who are the ignorant peasants up there but isn't it interesting that God the Father knew right where unexpectedly to place his son and there listen to this Jesus grew up he grew he grew in a community not in isolation he grew in a community. And part of what that community did was make a journey together. And here in Luke chapter 2, we find them on a journey to Jerusalem. They go up to Jerusalem for Passover. You can hear them singing the Psalms of Ascent as they went. Let's go up to Zion. And then, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of God. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem, Psalm 122. That's what those... Hebrew pilgrimages were all about as They came from all over Israel for Passover. They would come and step into the great city. Probably about 100,000 people in Jerusalem for Passover. Local population and all the pilgrims that are there. And Jesus went up with his family at the age of 12. They didn't go up just as a family. They went up as part of this great caravan, it says here in the text. Caravan, it says. And it means that there was this... Retinue of people, all kinds of people, ages, all journeying together, relatives, acquaintances, a caravan of people moving together. You know, one of the things that Luke's gospel does is it gives us journey stories. It begins with Joseph and Mary taking a journey to Bethlehem. And then they go to Egypt. Then they journey back home to Nazareth. Then there's this journey, this journey up to Jerusalem, Jesus' great story of the Good Samaritan, which is a journey story, happens in Luke's Gospel. And anybody who would have heard Jesus tell the story of the Great Samaritan would have been shocked right at the outset by something Jesus said. He said there was a man who was going to Jericho alone. And you know what happened? He was set upon by thieves and robbers. And they would have been stunned to hear that there was a man who was traveling alone. No one traveled alone. That wasn't what you did. Because if you traveled alone, that's when you could be set upon by the thieves and the robbers. And yet, brothers and sisters, I know many Christians who travel alone. And the thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy, he does look for the isolated believer. He does look for the person without community. He looks to isolate and attack Jesus did not create us to be alone. You may have been created to be single. That's different. That's a calling. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. But even the single person is not called to aloneness and isolation. We're called into this Christian community where we make this journey. Every single one of us need a caravan. And so they journeyed on to Jerusalem. What's going on in this text? What is it that they're doing? Well, Jesus was part of this network, this network of relationships that were filled with grace and truth. And I want you just to notice a few things about it. First of all, since it's a whole group of these people from Nazareth as they're going up to Jerusalem, let's realize, first of all, it consisted of all ages. There were young people there like Jesus, who's 12 years old, and there would have been Joseph and Mary, Middle age and older people too because the whole community, as they did annually, went up to Jerusalem for Passover. It's all ages. Sometimes the church is demarcated out by, well, the young or the old. But in fact, we're all in this together. In the Holy Spirit, there is no generation gap. When the Holy Spirit's poured out on the day of Pentecost, it says your old men will see, see dreams and your young men will see visions and both the dreams and the visions belong together. And so you, we, we don't need to go start youth church or rest home church. We're all in this together. All of us together so that together across those ages, we understand that the church is sometimes hip and sometimes my hip. But all of them belong together. You see, when we are together this way, there are things that get drawn out of us. In his brilliant book on friendship, C.S. Lewis talks about the circle of friends that he had. He says, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. Listen to this wonderful statement. By myself, I am not large enough to call out the whole person into the group. And what did he mean by that? Well, Lewis goes on and talks about the circle of friends, Charles Williams, J.R.R. Tolkien, and others who made up that circle of friends called the Inklings. And he talks about Charles Williams' death. And he says, when Charles died, when he was gone, it did not mean that with Charles out, I now had more of Tolkien. With Charles out, I had less Because there were things in Tolkien that only Charles could bring out. And so without him there, I lost those aspects of my friend that he made visible. There are things inside every single one of us that are brought out by the others that God brings into our lives. And he joins others into that circle of friendship, into that real community, so that we grow. Here's another thing about this caravan. It was centered on the city of God. They're going to Jerusalem. It wasn't just being together. It was being together in the journey. It was headed towards the city of God. It wasn't community just in some general sense, but in the committed sense of gathered for worship and to go to Jerusalem to see the Passover lamb consumed and sacrificed. You and I are gathered around this table where the Lamb of God is proclaimed. Until Jesus comes again. We're a people that are gathered around Jesus Christ. That's what committed Christian community looks like. You may gather around many things to form community, but distinctive Christian communities gathered around the word of God and the love of God and the Eucharistic sacrifice that Jesus makes so that he comes to make himself known in his body and his blood and at the table we're bound together again. And they were together not only for that, but created for growth. This community was a place where people were nourished. It says that when Jesus did this, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man. Those are three areas of growth we all need. Jesus grew in wisdom. What does it mean to grow in wisdom? Wisdom is not just the knowledge of Scripture. It's the ability to apply Scripture to everyday life. Most people just want rules. Wisdom is bigger than the rules. Wisdom shows us the ways of God, not just what to do, but how to do it. And that, for that, you you can't just have a book. You've got to have examples. Let me show you how to shake a hand. Let me show you how to treat another person. Let me show you how you speak in an edifying way. There are examples that God sets before us. And that's why we all need each other, so that we're growing in wisdom. He grew in stature, it says. He grew in stature. What does that mean? It means he got bigger. Jesus grew up. He started adding muscle as he went through those future years. He grew in stature. What does stature mean? It means he grew in the ability to handle the weight. And eventually, Christ was able to handle the weight of the cross. In another journey in Jerusalem. The weight of the sins of the whole world, of you and me, he bore them. He grew strong to bear the weight of the government of the whole cosmos. Because God has placed the government of the world on his shoulders. And those shoulders alone are strong enough to bear that weight. He grew in it. He grew in his ability To minister to others. It says he increased in favor with God and with man. That word for favor is grace. He grew in his ability to bring impact to other people's lives. How did he grow in that? Well, what did Jesus, what did Jesus do in those years between 12 and 30 when he's publicly introduced to Israel? Well, he's with his father. He's with dad and he's in the carpenter shop. You know Jesus, they called him the carpenter. He's the son of a carpenter. He's working in there with, with wood. He's taking those broken tables and, and fixing them and those houses that are shattered and putting them back together. You know what's interesting about that is that all through the Bible, people are compared with various kinds of wood. And so for several years, Jesus grew, working with broken wood, fixing it. Until the day he began to take the lessons of the carpenter shop and fix souls and families and heal nations. How did he do it? Well, the secret of that is embedded in this text. It says that the caravan Jesus was in was so thick, so rich, so deep, that when Jesus' family left Jerusalem and headed home, when they all started back, hey, let's go home, when that moment came, it says that Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And about a day later, his parents started looking for him. Now, parents, let me ask you a question. If you were in a city of a 100,000 people and you came from a community of about 200 people and you couldn't find your 12-year-old, how long would it be before you started looking for them? Well, they trusted this deep, rich community they were in so much that they never even started looking for him for a day. He's with the community. He's in the caravan. He's with the people we know. He's with the people we love. All is well. Until they couldn't find him. I always imagined that prayer time. I feel sorry for Joseph and Mary in this story. Can you imagine that that night? They can't find Jesus, the Son of God. Can you imagine that? And they go and pray. Heavenly Father, yeah, your son that you entrusted to us, yeah, can't find him. I always kind of imagine God the Father looking down at him and saying, You had one job. You had one job. But he never did. What's interesting is he didn't say, Well, he's back in Jerusalem over there. He let them look and they found him. And he said, I'm in my father's house. It says that they found him again after three days. It's not the last time in Luke's gospel Jesus will go missing for three days because that's how Luke ends. Jesus goes to the cross. Those shoulders bear it. Out to Calvary. And there he dies. And he is gone for three days. Where is he? Where is the Savior? Tell me where you've laid him. And Jesus Descended into the realm of the dead and he rose again to bring all of us to the place he loved the most, his father's house. To call you his son, to call you his daughter. To call us out of our brokenness and into the communion of the Trinity, but into the community of one another. So that none of us have to journey alone. Can I ask you a question this morning? Who is with you in the journey? Are you traveling alone? You don't have to. We are on our way to the city of God, and He wants to surround you with the caravan of Jesus so that you can make that journey with others in a place of fearlessness, a place of faith, a place of joy place of knowing that you too can grow you can grow in wisdom in stature and in favor with god and man god has called you to grow and growth in the christian life happens in the community let's pray Lord, I want to pray this morning for all my brothers and sisters here, for each of us, that we would know the caravan, the joy of belonging in this community of people, joined hearts, not only to Christ, but to each other. And I pray for any this morning who are lonely and afraid. I pray for those who are isolated. And I pray, Lord, For any who are just searching, I need to know where I belong. I need to know how to connect. And I pray, Lord, that you would create that among us. We pray this in Jesus' name.